This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hi there, this is Mark Lloyd. Music is my favourite subject to talk about and seriously one of my favourite all-time bands is Shack Attack, the jazz funk band. And I was lucky enough to catch up with their keyboard player on the show this week, Bill Sharp, who told me all about the history of the band and the fact that they're back out on the road and heading to Japan. If you love that kind of music, you're going to love this podcast. And don't forget to join me on the show weeknights, 8 through 10, right here on Dubai Eye 103.8. Welcome back into the show and the fabulous music there of the band Shack Attack, of course, um, that I absolutely loved and adored when I was growing up uh, listening to that. I'm very, very happy to have um, Bill Sharp, the uh, keyboard player from the band, joining us on the show right now here in Dubai. Bill, um, what a career you have had. You're the keyboard player that I always wanted to be, let me tell you. And, uh, of course, oh, you, you graduated, you. didn't you, with, with an honours <coughs> degree. So tell me about your early days and, and get getting into music as a young lad? Yeah, well, my um, my family were all very musical. Everybody played the piano and stuff. So I started having lessons when I was seven years old. And so it almost felt like I was destined to play the piano because I was classically trained. So my, a lot of my um, uh, training was classical, scales yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. my dad particularly was um, uh, very much into jazz like listening to guys like Oscar Peterson and Errol Garner and yeah. all those kinds of stuff. So I, I was listening to a lot of jazz. Obviously, I was very much into music, you know, late 60s, obviously the Beatles and that kind of thing. So 
so yes, I like being in bands, and all the time I was studying music at school and at university, I was always off playing in bands as well, because I just love playing in bands. I like the social aspect of yeah. it, the <laughs> musical right. side of it. Yeah. yeah, it was always like, to be honest with you, and I think you'll find a lot of um, little guys say the same thing, it was, it was quite a good way to meet girls. Especially when you're a shy teenager. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it must have helped, so, though, your, da- your dad playing Oscar Peterson around the house. You know, probably one of the greatest jazz pianists of, of all time. Huge hands, of course. Yeah. I mean, did you kind of uh, emulate Oscar? Did you kind of, you know, study his solos? Well, a, a little bit. I mean, you know, obviously, I mean, he, his hands, we could stretch, I think, you know, for eight notes being an octave. I mean, I could yeah. do about ten. I think he could do about thirteen. I think so. <laughs> no. When he was playing that kind of stride style that he played so well, it was. Um, I mean, technically, I mean, he was on another planet. So I could never really um, keep up with him. So I, I guess I, I, I would listen to it a bit and sort of um, try and copy some of the stuff, you know, like you do. And then, then I would listen to it. Um, one particular favorite moment was Herbie Hancock. Yep, he was a you know, wonderful, wonderful player, and um, probably not quite as. Um, well, I mean, although he could do it, his lot of his soloing and stuff is sort of, I guess, a bit more funky and yeah. uh, not kind of so speedy. Uh, but um, so, yeah, so you know, obviously we all kind of like, I mean, I'd sit and learn Herbie solos and Chick Corea says, I try and learn all that stuff. And then <clears throat> Joe Sample from the Crusaders, you know, yeah, yeah. learn that stuff. And then, of course, incorporate it try and incorporate into your own style and that's exactly what you did isn't it i mean when shack attack hit the charts i mean i mean the first instrumental that i remember in the charts was uh, spiragyra's morning dance and then right. uh, ronnie yeah. jordan so what um was around but yeah. i mean yeah. you guys really took it to the next level i mean the, the the big one of course for you was easier said than done just tell me about how you guys felt when that hit the charts and suddenly everyone was listening to jazz and it was on top of the pops well, it was uh, <clears throat> it's pretty special. I mean that that was that was a slow slow burner because it was sort of late released later in 1981 and it it went up the charts and of course in those days you um, to get on the playlist you needed to be in the top 40 and our, our songs had always hovered around the the sort of um, low 40s never yeah. broke into the top 40. Yeah, and usually said and done was going the same way, but then over the Christmas period I think the record company decided to work it a bit harder. And then after Christmas, they managed to get it into the top 40. We got our first appearance on Top of the Pops, which was, in those days, was, you know, it's a major thing. If you got on Top of the Pops, yep. you weren't guaranteed a, guaranteed a hit, but it pretty much did. And so suddenly we'd gone from, and I was talking to a guy the other day, actually, um, we were doing a show and he said he remembered, he put us on, I can't remember where it was, he put us on, he booked us before we'd appeared on Top of the Pops. Yeah. Um, in 1981 and then in 82 after we'd been on top of the pops um, when we were due I think early 82 to do to do his show he said it's incredible how the sales went through the roof after one appearance and there were people queuing around the block trying to get in into the show <laughs> so it shows it shows the power of that program it does. I mean, you know, a lot of the music uh, was written by you, um, you know, generally yeah. instrumental, but vocals were a, a major part of it as well. They, they might have been throughout the piece, but, I mean, you chose your vocalist very wisely. Just just tell me about the singers that you've had. Well, I mean, in those days, it was um, it was Jill, Jill Sayward and Jackie Raw. They they'd, um, uh, they were working in a band that Nigel, our producer, and Roger were working in, and... Um, <clears throat> and it just seemed as though when we started to put in the vocals in, we're really, really early, sort of, but just before easy, we used them on a, 
um, um, not 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 with lyrics, but it was a song called Brazilian Dawn. Yeah, kind of a that's on the Driving album. Hard album, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah, and there was also a song called Toot the Shoot that they sang on. And then, then when we had Easier Said Than Done, it was like, well, let's try this vocal chorus thing that I don't think many people had done. Really, it was mm-hmm. our it yeah. became our kind of kind of little trademark, and it just worked. The Jill and Jackie. Um, their voices blended really well together. And I remember, I think, Roger, when we were doing that song, he was saying to them, you know, do, don't do any vibrato in the vocals. Make it clean. A bit like um, Astro Gilberto, you know. In the, in exactly. The, you know, sort of the girl from Ipanema type thing, yeah. Exactly. It's very, it's very kind of pure, and there's not so much vibrato in the vocal. And, and, that, and their voices blended really well together, and there was none of this sort of wobbly vibrato. It was just very straight. Hard, in, a, in a strange way, harder to sing that way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it just, it just worked. But their vocals just blended. You couldn't tell who was singing because they just worked, worked so well together. And that, that kind of became an important part of the sound as well. This is The Night Shift. On Dubai Eye 103.8, the UAE's number one talk radio station. are in conversation with Bill Sharp of uh, the band uh, Shack Attack talking about those fantastic uh, songs, the likes of Nightbirds, Easier Said Than Done, Living in the UK. Um, just coming to people that you collaborated with, uh, Bill, um, I believe Al Jarreau, um appeared on, on one of your tunes as well. That's right, yeah. We, um, <coughs> Jill and George actually wrote um, a song called Day by Day. And um, we were sitting in the studio thinking, oh, wouldn't it be great? Because we were huge fans of that. Yeah, yeah. There's a section in the middle, and just as a duo, we were all saying, oh, you know, then it'd be great if you sang on the record. And uh, we contacted our record company, Polydor, and they, they thought it was an interesting idea, and then contacted Warner Brothers, I think Al was with, and somehow sort of pulled it all together. And we went over to um, New York and 
Jill and uh, we had the track finished, but Jill and Al recorded the vocal together in in New York. So that was kind of a bit of a special moment because having listened to his music for for many years, we were all so excited to work with him. He was he was just brilliant, you know, lovely guy, and you know, enormous talent. Yeah, uh, there's still a huge appetite, um, Bill, for for your band, for Shack Attack, for your music. I know you're currently on tour in the UK. What what do you think people, yeah. you know, um, see in in that? And what what do you think the longevity is is down to with your music, Bill? It's always that's a hard one to answer, really. I mean, we've always had around the world. We've had a very loyal fan base. Yeah, um, and I, I think the music, um, particularly. I mean, we did sort of like, you know, in the, the late 80s, we, we, we sort of went along with the sort of slightly harder drum sounds, all that kind of stuff. I think with, with songs like Nightbirds, Easy Said and Done, all those tunes, they're kind of like, um, they don't necessarily sound of the period. They're, they're sort of, I mean, I, this is my, my thought, but yeah. not they say they sound, they sound timeless because, they're, you know, they're very, it's all that was playing. It's kind of quite organic. And, you know, you talk about Crusaders and, at Sparajara, all that kind of stuff. It's just, um, to me, it does have a certain, I mean, obviously it's of, of its time, but I think it carries well, you know, through the decades and stuff, and I think it still sounds pretty fresh to my ears these days. So, yeah. and I, you know, I think the fact that, you know, we're still, we are still pretty much the original lineup, and I think people like Yeah, they like that. You know, they don't, they're not coming along just to see one member of the band with a backing band kind of thing. We're still really the original lineup so so maybe little little bits of all that kind of stuff and you know we still make new records we're still recording so that keeps people interested and uh and you know it's what what we do you know i remember when uh you know he talked to keith richards about why the stones are still going and touring and stuff and he said well it's what we do <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> same thing like that can't do anything else so if people want to come and see you then you carry. Obviously, if we started playing and nobody came along, then you think, well, yeah, it's, time it's time to, to pack it, it in. Yeah, uh, hang, yeah. Hang, hang up the. the yeah, I mean, you've got a big fan base as well out in Japan, and uh, I know in yeah. the Far East and the Philippines, they they love you out there. Um, I mean, do you still yeah. get out to those places, or are you mainly touring in the UK now? No, we're actually off to Japan in uh, November. We <coughs> we play there pretty much every year. Yeah, have done for the last forty years. <laughs> but because obviously it's the whole the whole COVID thing that obviously yeah. put, put a bit on hold. So we haven't been out there for a few years now. So we're really looking forward to we're out there for about ten days in November. Um, so really looking forward to that. And then yeah, you know, we've got gigs coming in. We've just um, uh, you know the last few days we're very popular in South Africa. So we've got, got we're heading out to Cape Town next year, and then we go to Slovakia, and so we do kind of go all over the place. And really, it's like you know you I say you wait for the phone call, but it is a bit like that. Yeah. And then uh, and then you think our international travel obviously has been is, is hasn't happened really um, uh, because of the whole sort of COVID thing. But we did have a, in April May we had a two week tour of Germany, which was first time we've been abroad for a couple of years and that was amazing it was yeah. such a great um great trip around there so so yeah so we still still love touring and now and next year particularly i think we're going to start getting back into the whole international thing as well brilliant right so what album are we up to now i mean i'm looking at my these are some of the invitations of course out of this world day by day night birds driving hard we mentioned down on the streets um what, what, what was yeah. the latest one bill we had a the last album we released, which was two or three years ago, and we're we're actually going to start working on a new one soon. Yeah. But the last album we had was it was called In the Blue Zone, 
Okay. Uh, and that was, uh, that was uh, you know, sort of um, just trying different things out. We had a couple of really good guests on. We had there's a wonderful British jazz singer called Leanne Carroll, and she appeared, did a duet with Jill on that. And so, uh, so it was, you know, it was nice to do that. And we're just writing some new material. So we're not just going around playing all hits all the time. I think for us, it's nice to do new music. And I, and I think when we do a show, we always put in just a couple of new songs because yeah. that breaks it up a little bit. I mean, obviously everybody wants to kind of hear all the hits, but it's just nice to sort of put in a little, you know, a few new tunes as well. So, um, so yeah, so we've carried, we have, a, you know, we have actually have a, a deal with um, JVC in Japan, which keeps the whole um, new, new recordings going. We've got another few albums that we'll probably do over the next decade. Um, and um, so there's lots to look forward to in recording and obviously touring as well. So yeah. bring it on. What a great body of work. My final question, uh, Bill, being yeah. a, a little bit of a keyboard geek, how has your setup evolved uh, since those early days in the 70s and 80s? I mean, you know, has it all gotten smaller yeah. and everything's on a module now? Just talk me through your setup. Well, yeah, kind of very much so. I mean, in the, in the heyday, I was like touring around. I had a seat. The MRCP70, which was like a electric acoustic piano. Yeah. It was an electric piano, but it was strung, so it sort of sounded like a piano. Then I had a, a an ALP Odyssey, sort of like a mini mood kind of synth. I had DX7, Prophet 5. Yeah. And so I had a lot of the old, the classic analog Classics, yeah. keyboards, sadly, which, you know, I had three Odysseys, two Prophets, and I, I got rid of them all. And I really wish oh. I just stuck them in. In the loft. Yeah. Now they're, you know, not only are they great instruments, but they're worth a lot of money. Collector's items. So now, yeah, but uh, now, now I'm literally um, down to, uh, depending on where we are, but Japan, because we play in these amazing places, I actually use a full, full acoustic piano, which is really nice. But yep. generally, in, in a pared down setup around the UK, I have a, a Yamaha Motif ES8, which I use for acoustic and electric piano sounds and then I have a, uh, a Korg um, call Triton which does all the old um, sort of like synth sounds so I'm literally just now I've just used two keyboards which which I've got um, within the two keyboards I get loads of different sounds yeah. but that's my sort of pared down modern contemporary sort of setup really so it's easy to carry around all the sounds are in there and it's um, you know in the old days it was there was just so much stuff to carry around because <laughs> that's that's the way it was you know <laughs> yeah i interviewed rick wakeman a, um, a few months ago yeah. and he was telling me you know at the height of his career but there was probably like 30 keyboards on stage something ridiculous like oh, he that was on a, yeah he was on another level wasn't he <laughs> he was yeah yeah at least you don't wear a cape oh, no i've never 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 got into that one no, yet, uh, no. <laughs> we'd love to see you come to dubai do you think that could possibly happen as the, you're getting back to we'd the international to. scene again We'd love to, you know, if, some, if someone would like to invite us out, that would be lovely. We we did play in Dubai in, yeah. the, in the mid eighties. Yeah, um, we toured toured around, and I remember some uh, some great times we had in uh, Dubai and Abu Dhabi, and sort of around, you know, down the whole area. It was uh, it was a great time. So so yeah, so it'd be lovely. It's been been a while. I mean, we're talking nearly forty years, I guess. Yeah, so yeah, it's be, a slightly uh, different place now. <laughs> I, I imagine there's a lot more buildings. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit. And a metro and, and so much more. Bill yeah, Sharp, I mean, yeah. it's been absolutely great to chat with you. As I said at the start of the interview, I sincerely mean it as well. Uh, the keyboard player Thank that you. I always wanted to be. Absolutely fantastic musician. And Bill, I'll, I'll keep my fingers crossed that you do get to Dubai at some point. Well, that would be lovely. Look forward to it. 
You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.